Uh, I get the honors now of introducing to you um, Pastor Fred Gums from Lamar's Bible Fellowship. <clears throat> I met Pastor Fred almost 20 years ago when we were first uh, starting this fellowship. And uh, so I just, I'm glad that uh, he was a, he's able to be able to come here today and uh, preach the word to us. Fred, <clears throat> PJ gave me a little uh, uh, bio, yeah, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> of, uh, of Fred, so I thought I'd just share it with you. Uh, Fred grew up in uh, North Dakota and came to know the Lord as a young boy. He received a degree in electrical engineering from Dakota, North Dakota State University and then served in the U.S. Air Force for four years. He worked as a cost scheduling engineer on construction projects in North Dakota and Wyoming. In 1985, he, he, uh, God called him to in a seminary and he graduated from uh, Grace Theologi Theological Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana in 1988. Shortly after, he accepted the call to serve as pastor of Lamar's Bible Church, where he has been ever since. The joy of Fred's life is to study and teach the Word of God and shepherd the people of God. He firmly believes that serving Jesus Christ by pastoring the local church is what God designed him for. He also finds great joy in being married to Cammy since 1973. They have two children who love the Lord and five grand, wonderful grandchildren. In his spare time, Fred enjoys reading, fishing, and riding his motorcycle. Can't be that bad if you ride a motorcycle. Pastor Jim uh, stepped down from his, uh, Pastor Fred stepped down from his role as senior pastor and 2017, but continues to serve as part-time pastor at Lamar's Bible uh, Church. Pastor Fred, would you please come and join us? Well, good morning. It really is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, but I understand I'm going to have to update that biography because we have nine grandchildren. So that's kind of old. In fact, three of them are here this morning. Uh, and uh, that's our daughter, Marie, married to Shannon Arduzer. And uh, they're here with three of our grandchildren, Pearl and Cicely and Simeon. Maybe Marie has stepped out with Pearl. But uh, Shannon is the director, area missionary, and camp director at Camp Assurance near Belden, Nebraska. And uh, they have another camp beginning tomorrow. In fact, staff arrives this afternoon, so it's a busy summer for them. But uh, we'll always take the time with grandkids, right, when they were able to drive over and see us here this afternoon, so, or this morning. Um, it is a joy to be with you. Uh, I do remember, Earl, that time when you and several others came up to Lamar's. I think it was, wow, close to 30 years now, early 90s, and uh, Lamar's Bible Church wasn't that old of a church at that point, but uh, you were beginning something here, God was beginning something, and you know, our, the history of our churches is, is very similar, how they began and uh, how God has blessed us, and I can just sense the Spirit of God here, so uh, it's so good to be with you today. I greet you from uh, the saints at Lamar's Bible Church as well. And uh, in fact, it's good. I see some, uh, some of our members are here today. Leo and D. Keck right here. Uh, we have a church picnic today. 
And uh, it's our annual outdoor picnic, and uh, the Kecks decided, well, we'll we'll come down here and worship today. So uh, good to have you, Leo and Dee, as well. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll turn to the Word of God. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of coming together, Lord. We are a blessed people in this land. We, we have another day of freedom uh, to freely and openly worship you, to proclaim uh, your word. And, and Father, we ought not take that for granted. We do thank you. Thank you for Holly Springs Bible Fellowship, Lord. Uh, your hand has been upon this work. And uh, just to see their new beautiful uh, worship center here, Lord, all glory goes to you. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this, your spirit who is at work here. And we pray, God, that until Jesus returns, you will preserve and strengthen this body of believers, that it might continue to do your work here uh, in Northwest Iowa. So we thank you, Father. Uh, pray your blessing as we turn to the scripture. And uh, we want to say that we love you and thank you for your great love and mercy to us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. There's a verse in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, uh, and it's, it's from a sermon of Peter, and Peter, in his sermon, he said this, he said, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That little phrase, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good. Now, we could develop a whole sermon on that one phrase, Jesus went about doing good. We know that we're not saved by doing good. We're not saved by Jesus' example. We are saved through faith in his shed blood, his grace given to us through the merits of Christ and his work on the cross. But that little phrase, he went about doing good. I've often thought about that. Beloved, oh, that our lives would be characterized, whether we, we go to the convenience store, the, the mini mart, the, to pay our bills or the neighborhood, wherever we are, that somehow we would be looking for ways to do good to others. That was the example of our Lord. There are times, however, that Jesus refused to do some things. And that's what we're going to think about today. Jesus was always in the center of God's will. He came to love, to heal, to serve, to forgive. And yet, he said no at various times. One of the joys of, of my life, ministry has been to study uh, the life of Christ. Isn't that what our discipleship is about. It's, it's studying a Christ and his life, his truth, and his teaching. Um, and as I've studied the Lord's life, uh, this is one area that, that was profitable. Uh, because we who are followers of Christ, there are things, there are times we must say no. We must say no. There are things we must refuse. Because we have a higher calling, we, we have a, a higher purpose. I remember as a young man seeing a, a little Bible tract and, or an article, it was called, Others May, You Cannot. And it was simply the fact that sometimes there are things that may be okay, but they're going to keep me from God's best. They're going to keep me from 
experiencing all the best that God has for me. So this morning, we want to look at five different times when Jesus refused to do something. Five different times in his life when he refused to do something, and hopefully we'll glean insight for our own walk of faith and obedience. Now, there are more than five refusals of Jesus in the Gospels, but we're going to look at just five today in the interest of time. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bible this morning, I trust you do, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is the command that Jesus refused to give. The command that Jesus refused to give. Matthew 4, verse 3. The tempter came, and this is Jesus' 40 days of being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Out of the mouth of God. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's been in the Judean wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's experiencing intense hunger. Now, did Jesus have the power to turn stones to bread? Absolutely. He could have done that. After all, later he's going to feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And after that, another 4,000 men, not counting women and children, with a, a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Jesus had the power. And after all, food is a basic necessity of life. So what's the problem here? Why does Jesus refuse to give this command that Satan suggests he should do? Jesus' response, in a sense, if I could boil it down, his response was something like, no, Satan, I refuse to miraculously make bread to satisfy my hunger. I refuse to succumb to your temptation, Satan. What was Satan's temptation? If you, if you boil it down, what was at the heart of it? I think it was this. Jesus, just satisfy your flesh. Just satisfy your hunger. That, that's a God-given desire after all. Beloved, do you know that one of Satan's basic strategies is to get us to cater to the cravings of our flesh? Now, these are often, as I said, legitimate desires, but Satan seeks to lure us to satisfy those desires, legitimate desires, at the wrong time, or in the wrong amount, or for the wrong purpose. Satan tries to deceive us. Satan tries to get us to believe that the things of the physical life, the material life, are really what life is all about about. And that's ultimately turning real life and reality upside down. Jesus' response tells us that. Look at verse 4 again. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Beloved, that's real life. That's reality. 
Man doesn't live on bread alone, but it's on the Word of God that we truly live. Jesus is saying, man doesn't merely exist in the physical realm. We're more than just a collection of amino acids and, and atoms. Rather, man is a spiritual being, and the flesh is not to have supremacy over the spirit. You remember in John chapter 4, it's Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And Jesus has sent the disciples into town to, to get some food. And in the meantime, he is, he is revealing himself to this Samaritan woman. And she's just amazed. How is it that you, a Jew, are speaking with me, a Samaritan and a woman? We, don't, we won't develop that. But the disciples come back and, uh, and they say, Rabbi, eat. We, here, we went down. We, we've got some Big Macs or whatever they had. Rabbi, eat. And Jesus said this, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples, sort of dull as they typically were, they said, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? And Jesus said this in John 4, 34, my food, listen, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus is saying God's will and obedience to the will of God and submitting to the will of God is more important than comfort. It's more important than a full stomach. It's more important than physical well-being. Knowing and doing the will of God. Jesus said, my food is to do what? The will of God. And God's will for Jesus at this moment in time was to be hungry. God's will for Jesus was to be hungry. And Jesus could have satisfied his bodily hunger with a miracle. But Jesus' miracles always had a higher purpose than merely satisfying a material need. His miracles were done to glorify God and to point people to who he was and is. Son of God, the Savior. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. All the way back. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is where Jesus quotes the Old Testament to Satan. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Now, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel. The 40 years of wandering are coming to a close. They're about to enter the promised land. Moses says in Deuteronomy 8, 2, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now look at verse 3. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Did you see that? Moses reminds the people of Israel, he said, God let you be hungry so that you would know that hearing and obeying the Word of God is more the most important thing in life. 
And it's the only way to truly live. Some years ago, one of the young men in our church was preparing to graduate from high school. And at that time, they, they would ask each senior. They'd do a little 10 or 15 question interview. They'd ask them some questions, some serious, some silly. And they'd print them in the local newspaper. And Eric was graduating senior, and, uh, and so they asked him some questions. And one of the questions was, if you were stranded on a desert island by yourself, what is one thing that you would want to have with you? And Eric said, a Bible, because man shall not live on bread alone. And I thought, you nailed it, Eric. I think this is teaching us that there are times when it's good to be without something we crave, something that the flesh is craving, that we might learn that our fleshly desires are not to control how we live, that God and his word are sufficient. A follower of Christ, beloved, is to walk in obedience to the will of God under the control and empowerment of the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he said, I buffet my body and make it my slave, my servant, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul knew that just, just following the flesh could, could lead to him being put on the shelf as a servant of God. And Jesus, our Savior, epitomized self-control and self-denial, didn't he? Ultimately at the cross, the ultimate act of self-denial, doing his Father's will. And remember, remember, how did Jesus get into this spot in the first place in the Judean wilderness? Forty days without food. Well, Mark chapter 1, verse 12 tells us, the Spirit of God led him. The Spirit of God impelled him. The Spirit of God drove him, the ESV says, into the wilderness. It was God's will that Jesus was deprived of these things for a season, that he would depend on the power of the Spirit and learn obedience by the things which he suffered, according to Hebrews. And when the 40 days were over, what does Luke 4 tell us? Luke 4, 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. Now, you contrast that. Jesus was led by the Spirit into this time of deprivation and difficulty and hardship. And then he, came, he emerged from that in the power of the Spirit. And you contrast that with the example of uh, the children of Israel again. It's written about in Psalm 103. I'm sorry, Psalm 106, verse 13. Listen. Psalm 106, verse 13. They quickly forgot his words. This is talking about their time in the wilderness wanderings again, those 40 years. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request. But the King James says, sent leanness to their souls. New American Standard says he sent a wasting disease among them. Jesus was victorious where Israel failed. Forty years in the wilderness, craving, lusting after the material stuff. 
And God granted that, but he sent the leanness to their souls. Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, emerging victorious in the power of the Spirit. The essence of real life, the essence of spiritual power is obeying the will and the word of God. It's, on the other hand, following the dictates of our flesh results in spiritual weakness and loss. I think there's something else here in Satan's temptation of Jesus, and it's this. In Matthew 4, Matthew 4, it says, Satan said, if you are the son of God, that could also be translated, since you are the son of God. Since you are the son of God. I think what's being implied there is, Satan is suggesting this. Jesus, you're the son of God. You don't deserve this. You don't, you don't deserve to be hungry. You are the son of God. You have a right to satisfy that craving right now, your bodily desires, so do it now. Take it. Thousands of years earlier, in a perfect garden, perfect environment, the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Eve in exactly the same way. Eve, provide for yourself what God has, has forbidden Eve, look, it's, it's desirable to make you wise. Satisfy your flesh. Where Adam and Eve failed in the garden, Jesus was victorious in the wilderness. Satan operates the same way today, brothers and sisters, same way. He whispers in the minds of young and old alike, you need this. You deserve this. Take it. It's normal. It's good. Satisfy the flesh. So, people sleep with one another outside the bonds of marriage. People consider their own pleasure, other activities, as more important than corporate worship. Sleeping in is more pleasurable than spending quiet time with God. Vegetating in front of the TV or the computer or the smartphone is more comforting than serving others or spending quality time with your spouse or your children. Satisfy your flesh. That's the constant battle. Satan works through the world system. He works through the flesh to deceive and to tempt. But you and I can walk in victory over the flesh, over Satan, over temptation by depending on the Spirit of God and the Word of God, just as Jesus did. It is written, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone. The command Jesus refused to give. Now some of you are thinking, Fred, you spent an awful long time and you said there's five of them. Are we going to be out of here by one o'clock? I think we'll pick it up a little bit. The second refusal of Jesus is this. The conflict Jesus refused to settle. The conflict Jesus refused to settle. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Luke 12, 13. Jesus is, is preaching a sermon 
in the middle of his sermon, he's interrupted. In verse 13, Luke 12, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. In the ancient world, rabbis were often asked to settle disputes, to settle legal matters. But Jesus here refuses to do that. He refuses to settle this dispute. Why? He had a higher mission. (laughs) He had a higher purpose. He came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. Would you notice the context here in Luke 12? You still have your Bibles there? Jesus is preaching a heavy message. He's, He's preaching a heavy sermon. Look at verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In other words, fear God. Don't fear those who can merely kill the body. Fear him who has power, authority to cast body and soul into hell. Fear him. This is a heavy sermon. Jesus later is going to, right after that, talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of that, this guy interrupts Jesus with a request totally unrelated to what Jesus is teaching. But Jesus refuses to intervene. He refuses to settle this conflict because Jesus as always saw the real issue and it was the issue of this man's heart. The man is greedy. He has a covetous heart. He has an unconverted heart. He wanted Jesus to serve him in that moment, but not save him from that covetous, greedy, idolatrous heart. By the way, did you know that greed amounts to idolatry? Colossians 3, 5. So greed is not good in contrast to a book that came out a few years ago. This is serious stuff. When Jesus says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Because greed is idolatry. Someone whose life, hear me, someone whose life is characterized by idolatry is in danger of hellfire. In fact, in Galatians 5, 20 and 21, it says, Those who practice idolatry will never inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 22, 15 says the same thing. Among those excluded from heaven are the immoral person, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. So no wonder Jesus warns sternly, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. Folks, we have to be honest. As believers in Jesus Christ, we all to one degree or another, our hearts are infected with this 
with this corrupting influence of covetousness and greed. The priceless jewel of contentment is often lacking. Never have enough, it's never good enough. Uh, our ancestors, and I heard this growing up, but our ancestors had that motto regarding material things. I heard it often. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do or do without. But today, the motto seems to be more, newer, better. Mark Twain said, quote, Civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Unquote. A few years ago, public broadcasting had a program called Affluenza, a documentary. And uh, at one point, the narrator said something like 70% of us visit malls each week, more than attend churches or synagogues. On average, we shop six hours a week and spend only 40 minutes playing with our children. Unquote. A woman on camera who is shopping is interviewed. She says, yeah, you shop and spend money. What else matters? They went on to talk about how affluenza and stuff is just, it's just grown in America. And praise God for, for the blessings of God. But how it can steal our hearts away from what really matters. And so Jesus issues this warning. They talked in the in the uh, documentary about this one man says yeah garages you can never have enough garages and they talked about how most new homes in america now are built with uh, many are built with three-car garages roughly 900 square feet and that's bigger than the average house in the 1950s it's just an indication of how bigger more better and it affects all of us but it's amazing, isn't it, beloved, how this 2,000-year-old interchange between Jesus and this man in the crowd, and he got more than he was bargaining for. When he said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I think I've lost count of the number of stories I've heard from people and things I've witnessed personally of Families that have been fractured, divided because of the actions of professing Christians when it came to dividing up mom and dad's inheritance or the estate. That's what's going on here. This man had a conflict. He wanted Jesus to settle it in his favor. Or at least to divide it so he'd get his share. Bible teaches wealth is a more dangerous thing than poverty. 1 Timothy 6.10, love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. So what's the answer, beloved? What is the answer to overcoming those hearts that are, that are bent towards covetousness, that are bent towards idolatry, that are bent towards greed? What's the answer? Here it is. You and I have to replace the inferior love of material things and money with a superior love. The more you love Christ, the more all other loves are subjugated, pushed out. 
If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. As we take in the word of God, as we walk in the spirit, it transforms us from the inside out and we gain more of an eternal perspective. We must also learn to give to others. Jesus, remember we opened with Acts 10, 38. Jesus was a man who went about doing good. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the more we give, the more we invest in the gospel, the less hold material things have on us. What concrete steps might you take this week in this way? Ask God to give you a heart, generosity with your resources. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Let's look at the third refusal of Jesus. Thirdly, the crown Jesus refused to wear. The crown Jesus refused to wear. Go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. The setting here is in John 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000, 5,000 men not including women and children. Look at verse 14. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. I submit to you, this is the crown Jesus refused to wear. The king they wanted was a king who would feed their bellies, who would get the Romans off their backs, who would get rid of their earthly problems, their enemies, who would bless them materially, make life comfortable. And so they had just seen this amazing miracle. This is the answer to the social security deficit, if you will. No worries, no problems. And they're going to come and take Jesus by force and make him king. Jesus would have nothing to do with that. He knew their hearts. He knew their hearts. He always, always knows our hearts. It's what he's looking at. Look at verse 26. Verse 26. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you do not seek me, or rather, you seek me, not because you see signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You're missing what this is pointing to. You ate of the loaves and your, and your stomachs are full, and that's what you want. Jesus said in another place, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, Matthew 15, 8. They wanted the kingdom without conversion. It's like many today, I fear, outwardly outwardly religious, have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Pray when in trouble. That's about the only time. Don't truly love God. Don't want him as Lord in their life. They want a king, a kingdom according to their own desires. But Jesus said, unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. This was yet another temptation from Satan directed at our Lord 
to avoid the cross. To avoid the cross. Do you remember Peter, beloved, in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus had been teaching his disciples the cross is still a ways off, but he's teaching them that he's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be mocked. And what does Peter say? God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You're the king. You don't deserve this. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. He saw exactly where that was coming from, just as it was here. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. And so Satan, it's the same temptation here. Jesus, you can have the crown. You can have the glory now. You don't have to go to the cross. They want to make you king right now. Listen to the applause. Your approval ratings are off the chart. Now is the time. You don't have to go through the suffering, Jesus. You know what's out there. The cup. Jesus refused the crown of popular approval. The voice of the crowd. This is how Satan tempts today again. Just go along. Just go along with the crowd. Just go along with what everyone is doing, with what everyone says is normal, with what everyone says is right, and it's okay. It's the culture we live in. You don't have to deny yourself. Just give in this once. I mentioned Camp Assurance earlier, and the theme this year is press on. And on the t-shirts that the campers get, it shows this whole school of fish swimming one way. And in the middle of the school is a little fish of a different color, and it's going the other way. This was the temptation. Jesus, they love you. Go for it. Bypass the cross. That's going to be horrible. Listen. You can go the way of the world. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. It's the passing pleasures of sin. And sin and disobedience and compromise, yeah, pleasure for a while, but it doesn't last. And you know what the long-term result is? It's regret, it's loss, it's heartache. Rather, we must choose the way of Christ. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. And that's hard in the short term. It's difficult. It's it's like that fish going against the flow. The tide of what's popular. What the world says is normal. But you know what the end is? It's the pleasures of God forevermore. And it's, it's glory and peace in the midst of it right now and we depend on the spirit but it's hard so the choice is either choose the world and what it has to offer short-term pleasure but long-term sorrow and loss regret or choose obedience choose self-denial it's not easy in the short term but it's the way of power now it's the way of joy it's a way of bringing glory to god and and the end is as i said Rich reward in heaven. 
Jesus did not compromise. He never wavered from obedience to his Father's will and plan, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. First the cross, then the crown. Beloved, remember that. Remember that as you're going through the difficulties of life. And then John 6.15 here tells us that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Time in fellowship and prayer with his Father, never wavering from obedience to his Father. And that's what he calls us to, to this eternal perspective. The sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed to us. Romans 8.18, it will be worth it all. I've been doing a lot of thinking about this whole topic of suffering because I think it's coming upon the American church. It's coming upon our nation. I've been studying a lot in the book of 1 Peter. And I read recently someone said, we in the West, we don't have a good theology of suffering. I think that's true. We think as Christians it, it should be easy sailing. But the way of the cross is hard. But it will be worth it. And he promises grace in the midst of it to never leave us, to stand with us, to strengthen us and bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. Oh, we all face these temptations to go with the crowd, don't we? To just kind of agree. Approval of men. Jesus refused the crown the world offered. And we are called to remember Jesus Christ and make pleasing him our highest goal. When you do that, you'll have joy. Others will be encouraged and Christ will be exalted and the gospel will be advanced. Refusal number four. Refusal number four. The request Jesus refused to make. The request Jesus refused to make. John chapter 17, if you would turn there. This is the high priestly prayer of our Lord. John 17. Jesus is praying for his disciples and, and he says in his prayer that he's not just praying for them, but for all who would believe on them, believe on him through their word, and that includes us. He prays for unity, he prays for joy, he prays for spiritual growth, he prays they be sanctified in the truth. But in his prayer, there is a request he refuses to make for us. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Verse 14, Jesus says, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He knew his followers would face persecution, that they would face suffering, they would face hardship, they would face even martyrdom. And since his followers are not of the world, he says that, Lord, they are not of the world. It would seem to make sense, well, then let's take them out of the world. But notice he refuses to ask that. He says, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Why? Why did he not ask the Father to take his followers and us out of the world? He had a purpose for them. He has a purpose for us. He has a purpose for us. Verse 18, look at it. Verse 18 
as you did send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus had come as the light. And now he was sending them on a mission to be the light of Christ in a dark world. And this is our mission as well. Look at verse 20. For those who believe. The purpose of our mission, verse 21, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And verse 23, that the world may know that thou didst send me. And so as John Stott comments here, he says, quote, the mission of the church is the continuation of the mission of its Lord. And he promises to be in us and work through us to shine the light of the gospel. And notice the context again, beloved. Notice the context. The mission will be carried out in a world that is hostile to the light and hates the light, Jesus says. Jesus says, my followers, my, my little flock, it will not be easy. But the difficulties faced by his followers will provide great opportunities for the gospel to shine even brighter. That principle is found throughout the Bible. When God's people are experiencing, it seems, the worst that Satan and the world can throw at them. God's power and grace are seen more clearly. I was reflecting recently on Jesus' words when they came in John chapter 9 and said, Lord, who sinned, the man who had been born blind, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus said, it was neither that this man sinned or his parents, but he has this debilitating defect. He was born blind. It wasn't easy. His life was very different from others around him. But what did Jesus say? This is so that the works of God may be displayed in him. To Paul, with that thorn in the flesh, he wanted it removed. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. Power is perfected in weakness. I imagine there are some of you, dear saints, here today, and you're in difficult situations. Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it is a disability. Yet in the midst of it, God will enable you to have grace and to shine forth his glorious gospel, his glory in the midst of a world. That's why he leaves us here. That's why. That's why Jesus said, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. They are not of the world. And the world hates them, but I don't ask you to take them out. That the world might believe through them. That the world might see the glorious truth of the gospel in and through them. And then lastly, number five, there was the cup Jesus refused to drink. And this helps prepare our hearts for communion this morning. The cup Jesus refused to drink. Turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. <clears throat> Jesus is on the cross, verse 22. They brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. He did not take it. The cup he refused to drink. Now, we know that the cross itself, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
was the cup that he would drink. The cup that the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? He did. But within that hour of suffering, as he's on that cross, they came up and they offered him a cup, a sedative, wine mixed with myrrh, had sort of a narcotic effect. And there were noble women who would go to crucifixions and to try to dull the excruciating pain and the, and the, and the horrible screams of those being crucified, for it was a horrible execution. They would offer this numbing drink to try to provide some relief. But Jesus refused it. He rejected it. Why? I'm not sure. But maybe, maybe he, he would bear, he would experience the full weight of suffering. And secondly, he would not have his mind dulled into a stupor because he would continue to minister even from the cross. The thief on the one side, his mother and the Apostle John at his feet. What a Savior. As bad as the physical agony was, the worst for Christ was spiritual being made sin, taking our shame, our guilt upon himself. That's why the cross reveals the love of God as nothing else can. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for you, for me, in your place, in my place. Christ did that. Do you know the Lord? Do you know this Savior who endured all of that for you? I'm not saying, do you know about him? Are, are you a church member? Have you been baptized? And all of that. Do you know him? Have you come to him acknowledging, like that publican in the story Jesus told in Luke, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Oh, and he's a merciful God. Put your faith and trust in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, trusts in him, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this portrait of our Savior this morning. <clears throat> Father, in these refusals, oh God, may we find encouragement and strength for our walk of faith. Lord, may we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. May we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, as Paul wrote to Timothy. God, help us not to seek the applause of men, the, the allurement of the world, but rather the approval of you, our Heavenly Father. Help us to know that we do not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. And it's only by your grace that we can do any of this. So we thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the time of communion we're going to enter into. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>